Adil Kurji, we're on episode 19, that's time code 0018 to 001859. Uh, we've got Luke Allen as our guest again today. Hello, yeah, it's fun to be back. Um, and yeah, so we're going to do the same thing we did, we've did. we been doing all week. I'm going to do a quick rundown in the minute and then we're going to go all detailed nitty gritty on it. We're, we start the minute um, mid-interview bet- uh, of Benoit interviewing Richard. Uh, yeah. And uh, Benoit has, says in his study, they do a back and forth about. Uh, it turns out the caterer uh, overheard Harlan and some someone in a screaming match uh, before the party, where Richard had ostensibly gone early to help the caterers. It's revealed that the caterer didn't see Richard, uh, and that the screaming match was between two men. Richard th- tries to throw Joni under the bus by saying she was there early. Uh, then um, Blanc reveals that the caterer heard Harlan shout the phrase, you tell her or I will, ring any bells. We then cut to a close-up of Richard and an Asian woman laughing in a car together on a laptop. Richard's telling Harlan, You're out of- that's none of your business, you stay out of my marriage. Harlan replies, I know my daughter and she would want to know. I've put all of it, end of minute. Um, so yeah, nice, nice. Uh, I think we both commented before we started recording that it was, uh, it felt like quite a short minute. Yeah, but I think also in the same light, every minute we've had this week has been so eventful as well. It's kind of, we've, we've not just got bits of people talking for the sake of talking. Everything is really eventful. I kind of forgot how eventful this film was. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that's, uh, I mean, having only screwed, like, done the scrutiny on the weeks I've, I, I'm hosting. Uh, I do think one of the things I enjoy about this film is just how packed it is and how mm. scenes aren't wasted. Opportunities to uh, support the the picture you're drawing in your head of the characters and their relationships are all quite... Um, they're all there. They're they're in there, right? Like we we get. It's not just throwaway lines. There are lines that sort of show off the relationship quickly between others. Even though ostensibly for the scene, it could just be, um, you know, patter. Yeah, the the it's it's got the it's got the 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 sort of content consistency of a short film, which I, in a way, if that kind of makes sense, the fact that everything you see is there for a reason. There's no conversations just for the sake of let's see these characters talking. The, ev- everything is so tightly packed which it can be good and can be bad i think it works well here i think some films you do need that kind of breathing space um yeah agreed what interests me is it... i mean i'm wondering whether ryan johnson started in shorts i'll have to check because i well, don't know didn't... it reminded me of shorts yeah uh, i'll bring his uh i believe he did a bunch of the, or a handful of them before but let me just uh quickly bring him up I mean, obviously, most um, filmmakers did start with shorts, but like, <laughs> yeah. So on its IMDb, there's 
Yeah, he's got uh, a few shorts. Uh, a, sh- a couple shorts and a couple music videos. Um, mm. So I would imagine there's also stuff that might not be on IMDb as well. So we, he, um, he started the very traditional route. Um, it seems like that, yeah. Shorts and music videos, yeah. Um, and then uh, Brick being his first feature, right? Um, yeah, so uh, in this, I think on what I really like, um, and it's shown off by, by the editing, um, is how much uh, space there is. You, you were mentioning that I think the key here is the dialogue is, like you said, jam-packed, but he gives the actors the space to emote around it. Mm. Um, and, like, it's really shown off um, here in this minute with, like, the cuts and the zooms in on, like, we're in, like, 20 seconds, where Richard's like, I don't know what you're talking about. And it's, like, the line ostensibly is, um, like... Uh, yeah, I don't. Screaming match. Um, but it's, it's like rolled out very slowly. And we're, we're all let, like, yeah. the actor's given the space to, you see darting of eyes, shaking of head, deep breath. Like, you see a whole bunch of stuff that, um, makes it, it doesn't, like, it's not like, it's not like the dialogue is just fast paced. Here's a clue. Here's a development of a relationship because... And I think this is why the ensemble cast is so important to the success of this film. Yeah. Is, is the actors are given the space to naturally deliver the lines and crucially deliver around them. Because, like, the words themselves don't convey nearly as much as, like, he's clearly... Um, what, he clearly knows what's being talked about and is, like, trying to cover it up. You see it on his face, right? The, yeah, I don't screaming match but like his face yeah. is like ah crap um what do i do slow and like then the slow delivery really helps the reinforce the he's trying to wriggle yeah the 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 first editing as well it kind of um it it, it means that when the characters do kind of slow down like that moment there that it it because you're so used to it being so quick the editing it it creates the the further tension when things take a while which i think is great and i'm just trying to see if this won any sort of award for best editing because in a world where bohemian rhapsody won best editing although to be fair i don't i don't really recall much about that film uh, i i remember enjoying it but also the editing is not particularly great i yeah it won the academy award for best editing where it's only really the last sequence like the concert bit which was edited pretty well like the rest of it is literally it changes shot every five seconds like someone right. timed it there was no prolonged shots it's so it's such a kind and i know this obviously we've just i've just complimented the fast editing of this but this suits the film tonally so much better than bohemian rhapsody's editing suits it and i wish no one that someone like i wish i'd never had it pointed out to me about bohemian rhapsody's editing because last time no, i can. saw it i it just annoys me I mean, I think that another reason why the fast, like, so the, the, in this minute, especially the latter half, we're cutting between time periods and close-ups yeah. on characters, even if they're not saying anything. And I think that's, that's, mm. that's like why it works, right? Because the, these cutaways aren't just, oh, let's make a short scene. Let's make, it's not just, it's easier to film kind of mm. fast editing. It's like, 
I think it really sh- helps you, especially when it's cutting between characters in the same room, like this sort of interrogation. It makes you feel like the audience members in the room. Yeah, and like it, you're it looking around, the... observing people, yeah. like reacting. Yeah, and it it builds up the tension a lot more to kind of see how many people are listening to what he's saying and kind of how much pressure he's under. I think I think the editing works here way better, and it's yeah, it's like just lovely. Like... Like a good example is like around 43, 44 seconds. Uh, it cuts to Lieutenant Elliot, who's sort of like, it's just almost imperceptibly leans forward, clearly like, what's going on? And then it cuts mm. away. Like it's a couple of seconds, uh, but it does the job of, yeah, if you didn't pick up on his verbal and nonverbal cues of making things up, getting uh, worried about getting caught, the now everyone's paying attention, they are picking up on those clues is like a, meta cinematic hey he's in hot he's getting himself in hot water Mm. and i i I also really like uh, about 33 seconds that the the tilt that the camera does is a kind of almost reveal what's going on over there kind of thing because it does just the, the the camera and the editing yeah acts as a character in itself that you are seeing the world from that perspective like it's it's not so over the top as to be kind of like peep show kind of oh look you're you are a character but it's it it does something so well to kind of character to kind of throw yourself in as a fly on a wall in, in a way well I, I, speaking of which what i like about that that tilt scene you were saying is the fact that it's like from overhead as if you were observing from up the staircase yeah and then when the caterer hears the yelling they like look over and that's that's at the same time that's when the camera does that tilt to towards mm. the door which like again it's like you you and the caterer both are there and you heard the yelling and you're both quickly glancing to where the the loud noise is coming from yeah it's, it's just very smart to have like you said the, it, that's what, what makes the camera feel like a character because they're they're reacting and the, a mm. lot of these dynamic shots are these like reactions of focus where it's like what the audience is focusing on as in concentrating focus, obviously not some, cause sometimes what the audience is focusing on is left out of focus in the film. Right. I like the interplay there. It's just like, these things are happening and they, um, the camera really does feel like a companion as part of the investigatory team. And that, and yet it, you as the audience know a little more, than everyone else and it sort of mimics that with some of the shot choices but usually it's very much sticking to kind of the the cop team's location and so it's like popping in and around uh and this one caterer scene is probably one of the few exceptions uh where you are in a sort of more omniscient spot with the overhead yeah i um I would love to see all the storyboards of Knives Out because it would take I'd just be fascinating as to how much how much work would have had to have gone into working out this and and then finally seeing kind of how how close the the vision they had in the final edit is to the vision that he had in directing I'd I'd be fascinated. Yeah, totally. Like like it's really hard to tell especially with this chunk uh where it's like did he did he originally envision this 
quick cuts between people. It seems likely because, again, we have that shot of Elliot not saying anything, but they they obviously filmed that reaction. Yeah. But I'd be curious if the um, original storyboard had a, those dynamic camera movements, but fewer of the sort of uh, interviewer, interviewer, inter interplay, line-by-line line shots. Mm. The only bit of the storyboard I can find I've just posted in the chat was a thing that Ryan Johnson put up on Twitter that that was one of his original ideas. Uh, oh, the, the the knife yeah. wall thing. Yeah, it's but that there that there doesn't appear. I've only done a very quick Google, but there doesn't yeah. appear to be any. I I think it'd probably be a while after a film comes out before kind of things like that are made public. I guess. Yeah, I would guess so as well. Um, kind of see uh, see how much of like a cult following it will build up before they was, start releasing kind of behind the scenes books and uh, storyboards and stuff. Uh, it kind of usually depends on how much people start clamoring for it. That makes sense. And as I think we discussed in a previous episode, it felt like everyone was talking about it at one point and then no one was talking about it. <laughs> It, it it felt like it kind of knives out had its phase and then people just stopped talking about it. Yeah, uh, very much so. It, it, and it and I think what made it, it it's the stark amount of like it was on everybody. It wasn't just like oh it was in the zeitgeist then it faded away. It was like this is all anyone wants to talk about for a lot like a, a few months there and then and then it just disappeared. Yeah, it it was weird, really, because it, it it was tonally a niche film, but made for a mainstream audience. Yeah, that's a good way. I, of I wonder it. whether I wonder whether that's kind of why it had such an interesting appeal. Is to mainstream audiences, you don't get films with this kind of level of artsiness to them, and I I have opinions about artsiness that I probably shouldn't go into because I, <laughs> I yeah. I, I will. I'll I'll talk about it briefly. Uh, this can be cut. Is I I don't mind artiness for the point of serving the plot, but I I never completely understand when people go to watch a film just because it's artsy. I feel like that defeats the point. When people say, "Oh, I love artsy cinema," I just that annoys me way more than it should. I feel like a large percentage of people genuinely just watch artsy films for the sake of saying that they've watched artsy films. Ah, uh, so you're talking about pretentiousness. Yeah, and it's... And I I believe... And it was, it was this sort of way with Knives Out, in a way, because I wasn't paying a ton of attention to the directing first time I saw it. I think the best directing is the directing you don't notice. If if it can make you feel things without you going, oh, it's making me feel things, then it's done a good job. Yeah, I think um, that's fair. I mean, I also uh, have when I watched it, the um, was just like, ah, oh, this is really good, and I, it, it, I'm really glad I got to participate in this project because I just, it didn't realize just how tight everything, yeah, was until I started like you know really paying attention. But you're right, it's like. It's why well, I think why this is such a great film is because you don't necessarily notice until you unless you choose to mm. be like oh you know like and that's not to say there aren't impactful scenes or like we're talking about the editing it's clearly well edited but like but yeah you could watch the, this and the, not what think makes about it editing. well yeah what makes it well edited is the fact that you don't realize it unless you're going unless you're actively going into it to look at directing and editing then obviously you're going to realize it um, but it's 
it's what I love about About Time. I think there's really clever ways that certain scenes are shot and certain things are made to look that you don't go, oh, that's clever. You just go, oh, hang on, now I'm feeling sad. And it's because of how it's shot. Um, and it was an issue I had um, with... Whilst I still love it as a film and and as a piece of art, I guess, uh, with train spotting, is I was watching a load of films about addiction when I was researching for a short film I made called Unstable because um, I wanted to see kind of how addiction had been portrayed in the media. Mm. And I I took it to a couple of like competitions and festivals and stuff and people were saying that they like the one bit they liked was like a tiny bit where the camera went a bit artsy. And that, that seemed to be the main consensus was that the camera needed to move around more and be more artsy, where it was like, but I want to tell a personal story about an addict. I don't want to distract you with moving, you know, with moving cameras and all oh, that's clever. I want you to just feel invested in the story. And I feel like that's what you risk when you're going artsy. I um, mean, yeah, I think that's a good way of putting it. It's a risk, right? All decisions are, are sort of gives and takes, um, and there's costs and benefits, right? And Yeah, and when I want to just make a story to portray and normalize addicts within society to kind of express them as normal people who've just made a mistake and need help, artsiness would have distracted from that main aim. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's sort of like yeah. similar to what we're talking about. Um, the lingering shots in Knives Out are allowing you to really like emotionally attached to the the character when they're going through something specific uh yeah right because the dynamic shots and the quick cuts distract from that like that when we say when we're talking about highlighting the performance by like yeah maybe a slow zoom in but other than that just letting the actor act throughout and have the breaks between lines i think the same notion as what you're talking about which is like yeah i want you to empathize with this person who is suffering and so i i don't want you person to connect needs to, the to be the central I want you to connect to the character yeah. exactly yeah so i need to be as transparent as possible and so i think this is a, a good way of paralleling right it is a cost benefit because i think in the knives out in this minute for example we do see the interplay there but the choice is made that minimizes the costs to the dynamic editing by making sure the bright moments are less dynamic yeah and in the same way like you want to prioritize what is the central purpose of this first and then and then do your cost benefit from there versus i think sort of the more cynical person part of me is going to be like yeah certain types of shots uh, and ways of filmmaking are associated with good or artsy um with like good on, uh, good as a film versus good as a movie if you forgive the simplification yeah um and it can be an easy trap to fall in to do those things for the sake of them versus this piece of more artsy um, cinematography or choice uh, really works for this moment. In yeah, what before I'm I get about. a ton of emails or people not wanting to watch my films or whatever, because <laughs> um, I know it's probably a very controversial view to have. I There are artsy films I enjoy, but I don't enjoy them because they're artsy. I enjoy them because the directing is effective to what it needs to do. I yeah. I don't I I'm never the sort of person who will go and see a niche artsy film because it's a niche artsy, artsy film. Or I'm not the sort of person who when I've gone to different kind of mingling events among like filmmaking communities like 
uh, award ceremonies or like premieres or things like that. I'm not the one who's going to be there chatting about like obscure French directors. I may have watched these films and enjoyed them, but the films I'm probably going to talk about are going to be mainstream films. And because I think, I, I I think there's a weird taboo among the film community at liking films that are made for general audiences, and I think that's weird. I mean, I, I think that's sort of I mentioned pretentiousness. I think there is there is definitely a pretense surrounding i mean this is why i use the the silly like fake dividing lines of film versus movie that you often yeah. hear um and you, it, it is a fake dividing line i mean i do think there are certain films i've seen that are uh shot in a more artsy uh way and that and that's the the key to enjoying the film is sort of not in the narrative per se but is in that pre- that type of presentation but yeah but you I, didn't go into the film going i want to watch because. a nazi film yeah yeah and i think i my issue is there are mainstream films that are good there are niche films that are good the idea of someone having a good film and just not liking it because lots of people like it and it's mainstream is pathetic um and that's an issue that i've had and i've talked about this with because there's only a I don't speak with a ton of people in my film class, but there's only a couple of us who have kind of had this conversation where we, we've actively agreed that, like, yeah, this it's weird and we can enjoy mainstream cinema and not feel ashamed by it. Like, even yeah. to the extent of the fact that... Um, I'm sure you won't mind bringing it up. I've been interviewed on like a local radio a couple of times about my films, and when I've talked about Richard Curtis and About Time being my biggest influence, they have kind of laughed at it, and I get it. It's It's weird, but I also think that a lot of filmmakers, if they just want a film to enjoy, would get entertainment out of Richard Curtis movies. Yeah, for sure. And I think the um, the other key... I mean, I also think um, having studied for a large chunk of my life and taught, um, been on both sides of the, of the lectern, so to speak, uh, there is a certain um, default people do when they are learning or starting out which is to sort of uh, create the barriers um, such that they can feel justified or feel like they are they've made this you know they, they understand this this difference because they're good at this new thing right It's a very human thing to do so like I'm a philosopher and um, in philosophy there's analytic philosophy which is a tradition that you know ostensibly goes all the way back to Aristotle but there's um, we sort of had this divide between sort of factual arguments and their structures and uh, attacking philosophical problems in that sort of third person way to continental philosophy, which is much more about the phenomenological and the point of view of people mattering, which is more for lack of like, it's very similar to subjective things might be important. I, I please don't email me. I'm just trying to make this not a philosophy chunk. Um, but uh it's very common, especially in first year, uh, first years and undergrads in analytic departments, to because there's this historical divide, and and some well-known analytic philosophers have shat on uh, continental philosophy for people to adopt that view without really thinking about it. It's very common for people to um, sort of take on this notion of um, someone important or historically this is a bad thing and uh or this isn't real philosophy and gatekeep um and i think 
because they don't know or someone has taught it, but it's not interrogatory. Like you aren't thinking and making the decision yourself. You're adopting this. And because you're new, you sort of adopt it with gusto, I guess. And I think I've seen similar things in um, people who are interested in film or people starting out. Like I'm not saying it's a purely young person phenomenon, but I'm saying I'm not surprised that you are seeing this in mm. um I think I think it will sites. balance out eventually. I think, but it's it's definitely that people people who are trying to make a name for themselves aren't going about talking about mainstream films. Understandably so, um, but it's yeah, it's it's just always intrigued me because, in a weird way, I think I'm trying to make it not sound like I'm doing what I criticize them for. But in a weird way, I feel like I'm standing out as talking about different films because I'm the only person who's talking about mainstream films, um, which isn't why I like mainstream films. Um, and I, as I said, I enjoy a lot of kind of niche films as well, but not. I, I don't like either because they're mainstream or niche. I like them because they're entertaining pieces of cinema that make me feel certain ways. Yeah, I mean, that sounds about right. I think that's the key, right? If you if you're worried that you are swinging the pendulum in the opposite direction, uh, the best test is why? Why do I have this opinion? Why why am I like watching more mainstream films? Oh, because I enjoy them. I enjoy this style of narrative storytelling art. Yeah, and I don't think there's anything particularly to be ashamed of in that because some film people have to go out and make these mainstream films. <laughs> like that, it's clearly there. And I've I've said quite recently. That as a filmmaker, I don't want to make um, films particularly for the cinephile, for the film fan. I want them to enjoy it, but I want to make films that the cinephile will go, "Oh, that was good," and show it to their mum. Which right. I think is is not what uh, most artsy films would go. Like I don't think I could, I could sit at home watching Kielowski, despite the fact that I do I do enjoy the. Um, what of Kalowski I've seen, but I wouldn't sit at home and watch one of his films and then be like, "Oh, come on, family, all gather in, let's watch the Three Colors trilogy." Like, that's not going to happen. <laughs> I mean, I think that's the key, right? Is that you are saying uh, this is n- not the way you enjoy it, and as long as, as long as no one's gatekeeping on either side, yeah, like you said, exactly. Uh, I I also think that that like weird opinion that this the, the gatekeeping opinion of well, this isn't real cinema. Like, again, like, you're right, there are people who do it, and it's not they do it to pay the bills, they enjoy making, you know, it's like, uh, like, yeah. people look down on the people who make procedural television, mm. uh, and, like, there are people who do it for the money, yes, but there's people who just enjoy doing the various bits of um, TV, movie making that are involved, like, it's just, it's the high horse, right, like, you don't know what people's motivations or enjoyment are just because your prefer they're not your preferences doesn't mean those preferences are wrong. Again, I will reiterate: check yourself on whether you are prescribing uh, or gatekeeping ways of yeah. enjoyment or making things versus this is what I think and feel, and always open yourself up to conversation. There was um, a quote that went all over the internet. Um, of- couple of years ago with Scorsese when he said that Marvel films aren't cinema Um, cinema is an art form that brings the unexpected in superhero movies nothing's at risk I don't like superhero films but at no point would I say they're not cinema they are bringing 
entertainment. They are making the audience connect and feel things. Maybe it's not the cinema that Scorsese likes, but in the same light, if it brings entertainment, is that not in itself cinema? And why is there a taboo against well-respected people in the film community enjoying normal movies? Yeah. I think that's probably the best point to leave. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, yeah, I mean, otherwise we're going to continue derailing, but I agree. Uh, I have a lot of thoughts about that particular quote, but I'll, I'll let them, uh, I'll let them lie for now. Um, mm. The uh, one thing we were, I do want to ask you um, on uh, is uh, seeing as you are a big a fan of more mainstream movies. Um, what, what about um, the other films of Ryan Johnson? What, what are your thoughts on his general oeuvre to use a pretentious word? Yeah, for... I'm just going to double check. Now, I literally had his IMDb up a minute ago, and then I, for some reason, closed it. Just right. Um, as as far as I'm aware, I haven't seen a ton of his stuff, but I've been meaning to. Um, so I see that he had directed a few episodes of Breaking Bad. That is something which has been on my list to watch, and I haven't. I know I'm, like, years behind right now, but yeah. Um, Looper is one which, once again, I've been meaning to watch. It was sort of recommended to me by Richard Curtis when he talked about that being like one of his big time travel influences. So I have Looper on DVD and haven't seen it. Brick, I don't know anything of, I don't think. Brothers Bloom, I don't. And Star Wars isn't for me, but I've, I've seen a lot of it with my dad. So I may have seen The Last Jedi, I can't remember. But yeah, that's Fair kind enough. of my yeah. experience with him. I'm not as familiar as I should be, but I'm I'm open to watching his stuff. I enjoyed this. I'm interested in seeing more of more of how he directs. Yeah, I mean, so I hadn't seen Brick or the Brothers Bloom. Uh, have seen Looper and and Star Wars uh, as a sci-fi fan, uh, and then because of this, I'm now I've put Brothers Bloom and Brick higher up on my ever-growing, admittedly to watch list because I just uh, how well um knives out is right uh, yeah i'm just going to add brick to my letterboxd watch list now before i forget um yeah so so it is interesting cuz he's he's very much a small big filmmaker i would say yeah um and he clearly has the um has had enough success that he doesn't need to sort of take odd jobs so he can hit uh be more picky mm. just like looking at you know his like brick came out in 2005 so we're looking at what 16 years and there's a f few movies uh mostly except for um star wars are all like things he's he's written and directed like he's they might yeah, I think bigger ryan johnson but... seems to me to be um Whilst obviously I've just said that I'm again going into niche for the sake of niche, he feels like the beginner's guide to niche, like the good middle ground between mainstream and niche cinema, because he still has enough kind of well-known actors appearing in his stuff. He's still Knives Out is obviously a fairly mainstream film, but it it carries with it the tropes of if there are tropes, but the tropes of niche cinema. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and like Looper was the same, right? It was. Um... Like Justin Gordon-Levitt and Bruce Willis in a smaller role for like Bruce Willis, but Ryan Johnson had enough buzz and like, it, and then it turned out to go really well. And I think he he uh, he fits that space well. And I'm glad to see that he, outside of Star Wars, um, he's basically been um, 
happy to live in that space of I'm my movie like I'm writing directing movies and I'm they're sort of in my own space and hopefully I can get the right talent on either side of the camera to make it well and take my time with things. It's actually really interesting they chose for him to write and direct Star Wars, considering his back catalogue at that point. Like Looper was probably the biggest thing he did there, but it's considering what a mainstream franchise it is. I could imagine someone offering him the directing after Knives Out, but th- this was before then. Like it would have been a couple of years before then, at the point where they brought him on board. That it's yeah, it's a good move from Lucasfilm, I think, to bring someone like him on board. I mean, that was their plan in general was to get up and coming directors to, I think, sort of to actually get some cachet on their doing it right, and then for various reasons, like um, they changed the their minds. Uh, on the last film, right? It was going to be Colin Trevorrow, right? Uh, and then it was going to be Ryan Johnson, and then it became JJ. But that's yeah. uh, probably outside of our remit. Um, but yeah. But hey, I, I if, mean... if 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 Lucas Films, you know, want to, uh, you know, get involved with up and coming directors, I instantly retract my dislike of Star Wars and email <laughs> me. <laughs> nice. Uh, if they did want to email you, how would they go about doing that? Oh, that was a good, good, good segue there. Um, it's I'm email at luke at lukealland.co.uk, and I assume is this just the plugs point for all of it? Yeah. Or we, yeah. Okay. Um, so Twitter at llama underscore bottle zero on Instagram at the ginger luke on Facebook at Luke Allen Film. All podcasts, radio appearances, newspaper articles, short films, anything I'm remotely involved in is over at lukealland.co.uk, including my shows. Please be seated on Twitter as please be tweeted. Um, my uh, podcast, Two Minutes About Time, which is on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, at Two Mins About Time. And Christmas Actually, which is the same Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at Christmas Act Pod. And I don't know if I've said it, but they can find me on IMDb. Uh, Luke Allen, I come up, uh, probably says like Director Unstable or Director The 16th Minute or something. I don't know what number. The, Luke Allen's a very common name, which considering. Alan's actually my middle name. I don't know why I didn't go with my real surname, but I'm stuck with it now. So here That's we go. That's really funny. <laughs> um, but there we go. Yeah, I'm Luke Allen uh, number 16, but I come up fairly high and you can see all the stuff I'm involved in film-wise there. So yeah, and podcasts because you can listen to them on IMDb now. Um, and you can catch us at Knives Out Minute on Twitter. Um, and... Uh, don't forget to rate, review, subscribe on your podcatcher of choice, and of course, tell your friends and others you might think would enjoy this. Um, that's yeah. us for today, and we'll catch you tomorrow. Bye.